Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the February 24th, 2010 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. just a few short days, we'll all be celebrating Women's History Month. This year marks the 30th anniversary of commemorating the vital role that women have played throughout American history. One of the major milestones for women in America was securing the right to vote after decades of struggle. Join Museum Director Bob Kekeisen and me as we take a look at a controversial painting in our collection that commented on the rights of women in American politics and society. And then, in a further salute to women's history, we asked you to connect William Allen White to United States Senator Barbara Mikulski. Mikulski represents the state of Maryland, and she co-sponsored the national legislation establishing Women's History Month. Was Mr. White a supporter of Votes for Women? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, American Woman. Good afternoon, morning, whatever it is today. Whatever, whenever anybody's listening yeah. to this. Good evening. Yes. <laughs> today we're talking about one of the more interesting paintings in our collection, American Woman and Her Political Peers. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And a very appropriate music, by the way. Oh, yeah, be... Well, you know, was there any way we weren't going to yeah. use American <laughs> Woman for that? Yeah, we, we love the subtlety of the obvious. <laughs> so I'll remind listeners that they can see an image of the painting on our website, kshs.org. But for those folks who haven't seen it, uh, can you describe the painting for us? Sure. Well, first, it's it's a rather large work. It's nearly five feet high and four feet wide, and that's without the frame. And it does have a rather ornate gold frame around it that adds at least another half foot or more. <laughs> so this, this is a, a big sucker. And the painting features uh, head and shoulder portraits of five people. Now, in the center is a rather stern-looking woman with uh, wavy short hair, and she's wearing little, you know, kind of wire rim eyeglasses. Um, Picture the matronly school teacher or society lady from a silent film <laughs> from the 19-teens or 20s, and you've got a pretty good idea what this woman looks like. So uh, she's dead center in the painting, head and shoulders portrait. And then surrounding her in each corner of the painting are portraits of four rather derelict-looking men. In the upper left, the artist has painted a broad caricature of a mentally challenged individual. And this, you know, at the time... You know, this is the people's image of someone who, um, you know, was uh, didn't have all of their mental faculties. And he has a rather large nose, uh, protruding teeth, and he has this slack-jawed, sort of hollow-eyed appearance. And then over in the upper right is a convict. And he's a fairly menacing-looking guy <laughs> uh, with a buzz cut, and um, he's dressed in prison stripes. So he's probably the most readily recognizable uh, character in this. Then in the lower right hand of the painting is uh, what the artist described as a madman or an, or an insane person. And he's depicted with this kind of wild-eyed look and his hair is unkempt and he has a straggly beard. And most interestingly, and why you know this guy's a little off kilter, is he's holding a tree branch that has his hat stuck on it. So his hat's kind of trailing along behind him while he's holding this tree branch. So 
rather bizarre guy there. And then finally, in the lower left corner is a portrait of a Native American. And as you see with the other male figures in the painting, it's not the most flattering depiction. He's in a very stylized headdress, has sort of a vacant look in his eye, has a slightly protruding lower lip, and you know the whole effect is this is kind of a kind of a dull person. So you've got the woman in the center, and then these four you know, kind of uh, strange-looking men around. <laughs> <laughs> so do we know who these people are? Oh yeah, well really, the, there's only one person we absolutely know who it is, and that's the woman in the center. The four men are just broad caricatures of, of a type, you know, of the uh, mentally challenged person, the convict, the Indian, the, the madman. But the woman in the middle is noted American educator and reformer Frances Willard. Now, Frances Willard was president of the National Women's, Cr Women's Christian Temperance Union, I always get that yeah. wrong, WCTU. <laughs> Um, and she was president of the National WCTU from 1879 until she passed away in 1898. She had also helped organize the Prohibition Party in 1882, and she supported suffrage, um, that's votes for women, women's rights, uh, equal pay for equal work, the eight-hour workday. She was kind of, you know, all around, you know, 19th I century. that eight-hour workday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why didn't somebody come up with a six-hour workday? No. Um, now she's kind of your all-around, you know, 19th century reformer into in all that. And she was one of America's most well-known women at the time this painting was created. Great. And so what's the history of the painting? How did it come about? Okay. Well, the painting is designed and commissioned by Henrietta Briggs Wall. That's hyphenated. It's B-R-I-G-G-S hyphen W-A-L-L. Henrietta Briggs Wall. And she was from Hutchinson, Kansas. And the artist that Mrs. Briggs-Wall commissioned to do the painting was also from Hutchinson. He was a gentleman by the name of W.A. Ford, and he completed this painting in 1893. Now, Henrietta Briggs-Wall, uh, who commissioned it, was active with the Kansas Equal Suffrage Association and also with the national and state chapters of the WCTU. And at this time, the WCTU was allied with other reform movements, including uh, women's suffrage. So as early as 1884, they had adopted a strong suffrage re resolution and they had a, a separate suffrage department within the WCTU just to work on that issue. And their feeling was that if they could get women the right to vote, then they could start working about bringing out other reforms you know, through, through the ballot box. Well, Willard, who's portrayed in the portrait, the, the woman in the center, Frances Willard, uh, apparently cooperated with Henrietta Briggs-Wall on this by providing her with several portraits from which they could choose, you know, to then paint her. So even though it's not the most flattering portrait of her and she's in the company of these, you know, kind of derelict folks, uh, Willard did go along with the project. But the project took some time to complete because they were trying to track down photographic models for these other guys. You know, they didn't just want to go out on the street, I guess, and say, excuse me, you know, hobo, can we paint your picture? Uh, now, the convict is said to have been modeled on a real-life prisoner, uh, but we don't know who that might have been. Um, and then Briggs-Wall and the artist, uh, W.A. Ford, compiled several photographs for the other three uh, folks, and so he painted these off of uh, com uh, kind of a composite out of photographs they had of other people. So, <laughs> that's how it and it actually says, on, if you get a chance to look at this online, it, it says copyright 1893 by Henrietta Briggs-Walls, painted you know, right there in the, uh, at the lower part of the painting. Huh. 
So you're talking a lot about women's suffrage, mm-hmm. so I'm assuming this has a very particular political message. Am I right? Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned at the time that this painting was created, Frances Willard was one of America's most well-known women. So you know, folks, folks knew um, Frances Willard kind of like probably you know, you know Hillary Clinton <laughs> at this point. Well, by placing her in the midst of these guys, the painting's an obvious comment on women's right to vote. Here you've got a painting equating women's voting status with that of other disenfranchised people. You've got an American Indian, you know, Indians were not allowed to vote at this time, uh, an insane person, a mentally challenged individual, and a convict. None of these guys had the right to vote and neither do women. So here's this powerful visual image with this nice, you know, prim, proper lady tossed in with these scruffy looking guys and they say, you know, we don't, as women, we don't have any more rights than the rest of these people who at the time were seen by the rest of society as kind of the dregs of society. I mean, right now we look at these and go, wow, that's probably not how you would want to depict or, or caricature someone. But at the time, it's like these are these four people that surround Francis Willard are somebody that most people in the society back then would not want to have anything to do with. And so they're essentially saying, look, you're putting women in the same class as these people. Now, I understand this painting caused quite a stir when it was first unveiled to the public. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, Henrietta Briggs Wall had commissioned this painting in time for it to be unveiled at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. Now, this is the 1893 World's Fair. I mean, its, its official title was the World's Columbian Exposition, and it was to be for the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering America, which, if you do your math, that would have been 1892, you know, 1492. Mm, Columbus ah. Yeah. But I always liked the Columbian Exposition because they were supposed to get it open in 1892 and <laughs> missed their deadline. So <laughs> which is always kind of encouraging me. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not the only one. And so it actually opened in 1893. So it's the 1893 World's Fair, and it was a big deal. It was received enormous worldwide publicity, kind of, you know, the place to be in 1893, which would kind of be a cool slogan. You, know? <laughs> you should have hired me. The place to be in 1893. They didn't use that. Anyway, um, well, at the World's Fair in 1893 in Chicago, nearly every state, in the United States had an exposition building to show off their state, and Kansas was no exception. We had this big Kansas building that displayed a great variety of um, um, products produced in the state, a lot on agriculture, took in a lot of of, um, agricultural products to show off the bounty of the state, and they had displays about communities and people and all this. Well, they basically were just trying to show everybody what a great place Kansas was, and part of it was to encourage people to continue to come out here and settle. Uh, but part of the Kansas building had a women's department. And in the women's department, they had paintings and photographs and crafts and clothing and accessories, kind of things that people back then would think, oh, this is what women are interested in. <laughs> uh, well, in the midst of this women's department was American Woman and her political peers. And it caused, caused uh, quite a stir. People were shocked by it. And, you know, the media covered it. I mean, for, the, for, for what it was at the time. I mean, this would probably show up like on, you know, CNN news now, <laughs> on headline news and, you know, be on, uh, making the rounds is what a big deal it was. Well, crowds gathered around it. And there was a newspaper in Michigan, the Alger County Republican, that reported that American woman, uh, the American woman and her political peers painting would be to suffrage what Uncle Tom's Cabin was to abolition. Hmm. So it was that, that big a deal. Um, Mrs. Briggs-Wall stayed with the picture almost constantly to lobby for women's rights. And when she was asked about the painting, she said, quote, it strikes the women every time. 
They do not realize that we are classed with idiots, criminals, and the insane as they do when they see that picture. Shocking? Well, it takes a shock to arouse some people to a sense of injustice and degradation. Quote, so. Yeah, it's a pretty so good she, quote. So she knew her mind, yeah. <laughs> and she stood there and, and harangued people about votes for women in the Kansas building, uh, and it got quite a bit of press. Um, they later produced photographic postcards of the picture, and they were available um, during the fair for people to buy, and then later were distributed internationally. And the postcard reproduced the painting, and um, underneath that, at the bottom of the postcard were the words, in many states, women are classed politically with idiots, convicts, the insane, and Indians, not allowed to vote. Women do not, however, escape taxation. <laughs> so she was not one to, to shy away from, from, from tweaking people. So. Do we have the card, the postcards? Yeah, we collection? have a postcard in the collection. Uh, and interestingly, th this painting has gone on loan to a couple of places. Um, the Jimmy Carter Library borrowed it from us back in the 1980s when they did a... Um, an exhibit that was uh, talking about women's issues. And I was in the Smithsonian Institution years ago um, and in one of their exhibits talking about women's issues and women's rights, they had one of the postcards oh, of American women. Cool. They didn't have you know, the actual portrait is here. In fact, if folks are in the Topeka area or are we traveling through Topeka, the, port, the painting is on permanent exhibit in the main gallery. So you can see it any time the museum is open. Uh, but when I was walking through the Smithsonian, that was kind of like a yeah. nice little slice of home. I walked by and said, hey, it's American Woman. And, uh, so they had the postcard there. So, yeah, we've got uh, postcards in the collection, and we have the, as, uh, obviously, we have the actual painting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question. Okay. If you were going to commission a modern-day American okay. woman and her political peers, what would it look like? Well, um, hopefully things have changed some, but uh, you know, you, that you wouldn't classify women and objectify them, although our society does a great job of objectifying women. Um, but I think I would take an image of a modern woman from today, put it in the center, like uh, Henrietta Briggs Wall did, and then surround her with maybe pictures of U.S. senators, maybe a secretary of state or two, because you've had you know, Madeleine Albright and mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, uh, because those are still the highest offices <laughs> to, to which women have ascended. Uh, you know, and we think of the United States as kind of this cutting edge, forward thinking, you know, we're really progressive folks, modern society, and yet we've never had a woman vice president, yeah. <laughs> let alone president. And it's always struck me as odd, you know, many other countries that a lot of us in this country consider sort of, you know, backward and tradition-bound, old world, you know, have had women leaders like Golda Meir in Israel and Indira Gandhi, uh, Corey Aquino in the Philippines, Mary Robinson in Ireland, Benazir Bhutto in Pakistan. I mean, the list goes on and on of women presidents, women prime ministers, women leaders. And so, you know, maybe someday our enlightened country yeah. <laughs> can join the club. <laughs> Should get that commissioned. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll work on it. Okay. Thanks, Bob. You bet. We were there in the factories, we were there in the mills, we were there in the mines, and came home to fix the meals. We were there on the picket line, we raised our voices loud, it makes me proud, just knowing another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. And Museum Director Bob Kickeisen. Hello. Uh, well, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we're just a few days short of the beginning of Women's History Month. 
And this year, Women's History Month is celebrating its 30th anniversary as a national commemoration. So we asked you to connect William Allen White to the women who, or woman who co-sponsored <laughs> the legislation establishing National Women's History Month, the senior senator from Maryland, Barbara Mikulski. And Bob, can you give us some background on the senator? Sure. Actually, she was a co-sponsor, but I think the other guy was a man. So oh, okay. Women, but <laughs> he it was, was, it was woman. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, that's nice. A little bipartisanship. Which be... It'll figure in heavily <laughs> to the solution. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Didn't even know that. Okay. Well, Barbara Ann Mikulski was born on July 20th, 1936 in Baltimore, Maryland. And she grew up in that city and attended high school there and later graduated from Mount St. Agnes College, which is now part of the Loyola College uh, in Maryland. She went on to get her master's degree in social work, and that was at the University of Maryland. And then she worked as a social worker for Catholic Charities and for Baltimore's Department of Social Services for a number of years, mainly helping at-risk children, and she was working on educating seniors about Medicare and all that kind of good stuff. And she'd always been active in community affairs, and, affairs, and that led her to... Um, win election to a seat on the Baltimore City Council in 1971. Then in 1974, uh, she ran for the U.S. Senate for the first time, but she was defeated. And it turns out that's the only election Barbara Mikulski ever lost. <laughs> so wow. she then went on to um, win the Democratic nomination for the 3rd Congressional District in Maryland and was elected to the, to the House uh, in November of 1976. And she was re-elected four more times four more times after that and never faced a lot of opposition because it's a pretty heavily Democratic district. So in 1986, then, she ran again for the U.S. Senate and was elected this time, and she's won re-election in 1992, 1998, and last in 2004. And should she run and win election this year in 2010, she will surpass Margaret Chase Smith as the longest-serving female senator. And cool. in all of her accomplishments back in 1980, she co-introduced the congressional resolution that established March as National Women's History Month. So there's Senator Barbara Mikulski. Great. Thanks, Bob. And let's hear a solution, Kayla. Okay. Well, as we talked about, Barbara Mikulski was a co-sponsor of the resolution proclaiming Women's History Month. Uh, the other co-sponsor was Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. A man. A man, indeed. Yay! <laughs> okay, though uh, Hatch is a conservative Republican, he has been uh, well known for crossing party lines to get legislation passed. And one of his noted legislative partnerships was with the late Senator Edward Kennedy, who was a Democrat from Massachusetts. Edward Kennedy was the grandson of P.J. Kennedy, who also served Massachusetts in the House and Senate. And in 1888, P.J. was invited to give a speech in support of Grover Cleveland at the Democratic National Convention in St. Louis. A few years later, Cleveland welcomed William Allen White into his home, and they had a nice little chat about politics and how Cleveland was slandered while in, in the White House, and how his wife snuck a bunch of old furniture into their house after he told her she couldn't keep it because it was junk. <laughs> <laughs> so what a conversation that must have been. <laughs> Visiting with the former president about crap furniture. <laughs> Sounds like some of our collections. No. <laughs> So that's it. Okay, yeah. great. Um, Bob, would you like to issue the challenge for the next episode? Sure. Uh, before we get to that, one thing we do want to mention, we, we occasionally get a chance to read uh, responses from uh, some of our listeners, and we just got a response last week from a listener in St. Petersburg, Florida, and um, she went on to write or uh, emailed us and said, I just found the podcast on iTunes, and I absolutely love them. The subject matter is entertaining, and the music choices are so fitting. Absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. 
I may have to make a trip to Kansas just to go to the museum. Keep up the awesome work. Cool. So, wow, so we may <laughs> wait, actually get a visitor out of the podcast. Wow, <laughs> we have more than one fan. <laughs> so so uh, if you are a regular listener or if this is the first time you've heard one of our podcasts, we do like hearing from our listeners. So f- uh, feel free to uh, drop us an email and let us know what you think. But anyway, back back to Six Degrees. Uh, our next podcast is going to be in two weeks, and that's just a week before St. Patrick's Day. So in honor of the wearing of the green and all things Irish, we want you to connect William Allen White to one of our favorite Irish actors, Colin Farrell, who's currently appearing in Crazy Heart, which has been nominated for Best Picture at this year's Oscars. I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) All right. So if you think you can connect William Allen White to Irish actor and Hollywood bad boy Colin Farrell, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. concludes episode 101, American Woman. To see photos of American Woman and her political peers, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on podcasts. Our website is also the place to find out everything that's happening at the Kansas Historical Society. You can research our collections, check out a calendar of events, find directions to our library, museum, and historic sites, and even become a member. For more fun stuff, look us up on Facebook and become our friend. Just search for Kansas Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when curator Laurel Fritsch comes by to talk about a dress worn by Kansas artist Avis Chitwood when she was a child. Chitwood lived to be 100 years old and never stopped creating art. Join us in two weeks to learn more about this accomplished woman. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Someone else is Listen,